This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Welcome to the morning break with Graham Stanley on Teachers Talk Radio. I'm sorry for the late start. My special guest today is Paul Rain, an award-winning teacher, presenter and developer based in Japan. Paul currently teaches at universities in the Tokyo area and will be speaking about teaching with technology, among other things. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the morning break, everyone. Today's feature, today's show features a conversation with Paul Rain, a teacher based in Tokyo, Japan. And I'll be back with Paul right after the Teachers Talk Radio News. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the Teachers Health Coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Following the death of Queen Elizabeth II, the Department for Education has issued guidance for schools. The period of national mourning will continue until the state funeral, but the guidance makes it clear that schools should remain open during this time. Ofsted reports are paused, but inspections will go ahead. The update suggests that schools may want to consider conducting special activities, holding assemblies or adapting lessons to commemorate the life of Her Majesty. Whilst no official date has yet been set for the state funeral, many media outlets are suggesting Monday, September the 19th as a possible date. There is also speculation around whether the state funeral proceedings would be classed as a public holiday something which would affect schools opening. 
Schools and other education settings across all four of the home nations have been involved in many events recognising the late Queen's 70 years of service to the United Kingdom and the Commonwealth, with many media outlets carrying details of how her passing has been acknowledged by young people across all areas. England's Secretary of State for Education, Kit Malthouse, acknowledged Her Majesty's devotion to public service. Northern Ireland's Michelle McKilveen referred to Her Majesty as a champion of education and an impeccable role model for children and young people, and someone who will be missed immeasurably. The last public appearance of the Queen was on Tuesday the 6th of September, when she appointed Liz Truss as Prime Minister. The new Prime Minister made Cabinet announcements, including the appointment of Kit Malthouse as Secretary of State for Education. Mr Malthouse replaces James Cleverley in a year that has seen many ministers take up and then leave the role. Mr Malthouse was first elected in 2015 and is the MP for North West Hampshire. His previous experience has been with the Home Office and the Ministry of Justice. He studied politics and economics at Newcastle University and is a qualified chartered accountant. Mr Malthouse is married and has three children. After a year of turmoil, Mr Malthouse is likely to need to promote stability as quickly as possible within his department, while also taking steps to address the school funding crisis and issues brought about by further concerns around the cost of living. This has been Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week, if you haven't already gone, it's time to return to school. So, what tech advice do I have for you? This episode is aimed more at teachers newer to the profession, but there may also be something for those with more experience here too. Here are my top tips for returning to or starting a new school. First up, put your name on your power lead especially if your school uses the same laptops for lots of teachers. It's so easy to leave your power lead behind and then find it's been taken by someone thinking it's theirs. When moving between rooms, always close your laptop lid and remove power leads and USB drives. This can be a pain, but impact on a USB drive sticking out while in transit can stop the port working. Same goes for a power port. Modern computers are incredibly tricky to fix if these ports are damaged, and therefore that will be the end of your laptop. If you're using USB drives, start moving into the cloud. If your school hasn't already banned them, they will be considering it due to the increased risk of viruses posed by using them. Always start your information management system as soon as you arrive. This is the software you take your register on. Don't leave it until it's time to take the register. This software updates regularly and can sometimes take a while, especially after a break when technicians have had the time to maintain your school system. Finally, one of my favourite shortcuts. If you don't know this, feel free to let me know I've changed your life. If you organise your internet bookmarks into folders, you can right-click on the folder and select Open All. This will open all of the web pages you'll be using in a lesson, saving you time and also making sure everything is loaded and ready to go. If this has given you food for thought, I'd love to hear from you. As we return to work, why not get in touch at TT Radio 2022, follow us and tell us what you want to know about tech. I'm Steve Woods. And that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the morning break on Teachers Talk Radio, where today I'm joined by a very special guest, Paul Rain. Paul, thank you so much for agreeing to join me today. How are you and what have you been up to recently? Thanks for having me on, Graham. I really appreciate it. Um, it's it's great to be on the show, and uh, I've, I've been pretty busy. I, I know teachers always always say that they're busy, don't they? <laughs> we yes. shouldn't 
we should stop saying that how busy we are um but i have been pretty busy um i i'm teaching at universities in japan but we here in japan we get a fairly long summer break um but i've been busy doing the break on different projects and things which i'll tell you more about later i guess fantastic and uh, perhaps you can start by telling me and the listeners a little bit about your journey as an educator so as mm -hmm. you said you're teaching at universities in japan how did you come to be there and what got you interested in teaching and in technology? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good question. So um, my background is quite diverse, actually. I, I did my first degree in uh, imaginative writing, creative writing. And then I went on to be a student support worker for a while um, in, at university in the UK. Then I went back to university and did a degree in law. And my intention was to become a lawyer. Um, it's quite a long, difficult, arduous process to do that, though. So I took a, I decided to take a break and go traveling and teach English, as I'm sure many English teachers do think think that way. And um, I, I just picked the country um, furthest from the UK that doesn't speak English, uh, which happened to be Japan. And uh, Japan's at that time was looking for English teachers. I mean, even now it is, but obviously it's a little bit harder in a post-COVID world to to find teaching jobs. Um, but at that time, there was lots of teaching jobs available in in English conversation schools here in Japan, and and that's how I started out uh, teaching English in Japan. Wow! That's... And I, yeah, sorry, I was going to continue. And then yeah. I uh, and then I uh, transitioned into university teaching. Um, I got my first university teaching contract. I think back in two thousand eight. Uh, I was working with a dispatch company at that time, and then I got my first direct contract and started a master's degree at the University of Birmingham, which I really recommend anyone wanting to get a master's degree in TESOL. Uh, the Birmingham one is really good. And um, and then uh, and then I picked up a few more um, contracts teaching part-time at university, and, and 10 years later, um, I'm still doing that, that now. That's um, quite a journey from creative writing to wanting to be a lawyer to becoming an English teacher to being in Japan that's quite impressive um yeah. what did you ever when you would if you go back to your degree in um imaginative creative writing um mm. did you have the um, an ambition to become a a creative writer you must have done surely um back then Mm, I think I think I did. I just didn't realize how difficult it was <laughs> to to make a living as any kind of artist. I think all all artists struggle to make a living in, in, unless they get really well known. Mm. Um, you know, nowadays it's a little, probably a little bit easier, maybe um, with with the different online uh, outlets there are, like Etsy and and uh, you know the different kind of online forums and and, and uh, ways that you can kind of um, do freelance work online these days. Um, so. I'm not. I'm not saying it is easy. I'm just wondering if there's more opportunities to to do that kind of thing on a freelance basis now. Um, but uh, it's definitely difficult to to make a living out of anything creative. And um, I actually published my first book, um, which is called Journey to Mars, my first work of fiction. That was a few years ago with a publisher in Japan called Atama E, which was started by a colleague of mine, uh, Marcos Benavides, and uh, he published I think about five titles altogether. And uh, mine was one of them. Mine was the first one, actually, which was really good. And do you have any ambitions to carry on with creative writing? Is it something you do as a hobby at the moment? or I would like to, you know, um, it's just finding the opportunity, finding the right audience, um, you know, and, and and having to make a living at the same time. <laughs> and, the, and, and the time and energy that you devote to to writing a novel or something like that. You know, you hear stories about how, you know, J.K. Rowling was turned away, you know, 10 times, 15 times, whatever. She, she kept going and kept going. 
and you, you do that you do need to have um, tenacity and determ determination in whatever you do um but also you've got to pay the rent and pay the bills and i found that i'm able to make a more consistent living out of working with technology than i am with working with fiction yes and with technology how what was the germ of your you know what got you started what what uh got you really interested in technology and particular technology with teaching with technology so i'd already i'd always been interested in in technology from a very young age i think uh, when i was a teenager around 16 i actually released my own software title it was for a, a computer system that was only really popular in the uk called acorn computers i don't know if any of your listeners will remember that <laughs> Um, but I, I, basically, remember, I remember it. <laughs> yes, yes. They were they were they were a Cambridge-based company. Um actually the 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 spin-off of Acorn Computers is the ARM chip, which is now, you know, it's gone global. It, it's one of the one of the most successful chips ever made, I think. Uh, and wow. I think it's used in all of the iPhones, and I think Apple used it for a long time. So um, you know, the 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 spin-off from from Acorn did very well. But anyway, I I um, developed some software on the Acorn computer programming in basic. And then um, once the web became kind of, um, you know, a, a daily, uh, um, something that was used by, by people all the time in, in the offices and in, in schools, um, I started learning a bit more about web coding and JavaScript and PHP and all that kind of stuff. And, and I, I just kind of um, kept one, one foot in that, you know, um, coding over the years. Um, and then I just kind of came back to it as a teacher and wanted to do develop certain kind of materials for my students I wanted them to be interactive um, and so I decided to develop a website which had these interactive games and activities that students could do on their smartphones and on their laptops. Wow that sounds uh, wonderful and mm. you actually have um, a couple of websites at the moment. Yeah uh, so my my main project right now is a website called Zengengo it's a little hard to pronounce. I think we chose a bit of a difficult name <laughs> to pronounce, but it's uh, Z-E-N-G-E-N-G-O, Zengengo. And it's a website for language teachers and language learners. And it has 10 activity types and um, language teachers can make their own speaking, listening, reading and writing activities for students. It has all four skills on there. And um, we've had a lot of support from the likes of Russell Stannard, for example. He's, he often makes videos about Zengengo. Um, we're we're spreading the word is slowly spreading about Zengengo and, and more and more teachers are using it to to help them deliver their language learning uh, material to their students. That's great. And um, I imagine being in Japan, being based in Tokyo, the kind of technology students have and teachers, your universities where you work have is quite sophisticated. Or is that a stereotype that I'm um, it isn't it isn't i mean I, I i tend to think that historically japan has been very mechanically technically advanced like trains cars you know your image of japan with the shinkansen the bullet train you know hurtling past mount fuji in the background um you know the the the, the thing that japan is known for the quality quality car making you know nissan honda toyota uh, mitsubishi uh, but they haven't until recently been very digitally advanced. Mm -hmm. um, there was never really um, an attempt to make a smartphone, for example, in Japan. Uh, they, they used to have um, feature phones, which are also known as garake, which I think means uh, Galapagos, Galapagos um, 
telephone, which means like it only exists in one place. <laughs> it only exists in Japan because it was such a, a, a idiosyncratic um, device that it, it never caught on anywhere else, you know. But but Japan did lead the way in other things like emoji. You know, emoji come from Japan, and uh, and sending emails on the phone. Japan was doing that before anyone else, so they have led the way. Uh, in many respects, but they've kind of fallen behind a little bit, I think, and now they're catching up again. What about on a day-to-day -day basis when you're teaching? Do you end up using a lot of technology with students? I, I mean, obviously, over the past two years, it's been like almost completely technology-based. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we had, I'm sure that you've talked about this a lot on your show, <clears throat> we had um, emergency remote teaching here in Japan. Uh, most universities went online, fully online, for at least a couple of months. I think in Tokyo, um, we had a state of emergency declared at the worst part of COVID, um, I think in late 2019, maybe early 2020. And so we had to be online. Um, most teachers were using Zoom for their synchronous uh, teaching and then some kind of uh, LMS for their asynchronous teaching. Um, yeah. But before before COVID, um, you know, a lot of universities, because I, I work in higher education, a lot of universities in Japan have been quite slow to to adapt to the digital age. And, um, you know, they're, they're paper based. Japan has, has for a long time been a paper based culture. Um, everything is done on paper. And um, they actually now recently have a new digital minister. I think I think his name is Taro Kono. And um, he is in charge of um, digitizing or digitalizing um, Japanese business and education and culture. Wow. And do you think, or how do you think Japan, higher education in Japan in particular, coped with the closures and the move online? Did did things go quite smoothly or, or was it quite a difficult transition? I mean, from what I've heard, there were definite challenges, you know, um, it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't really a smooth process, but I think people managed it by by grouping together. Um, there was a lot of grassroots efforts um, on the behalf of English teachers. I, I only really can talk about my experience as an English teacher. Yeah. And, um, you know, we we had uh, there was a Facebook group established on uh, by one of my ex colleagues, actually. Um, uh, a guy called Dave Juto. He has a Facebook group called Online Teaching Japan (OTJ), and and that provided a lot of support and picked up a lot a lot of the slack um, uh, that that wasn't being offered to to part time teachers in particular about how to you know transition from face to face to to, to online teaching, and it was it was a very ad hoc process. It was like you know, and we didn't know until the last minute like okay, are we, we going to be online? We're we going to be online. Yes, we are. How long we're we going to be online? How long we're we going to be online? Six months, you know. It's like so. It was it was kind of last very last minute, you know, as I'm sure it was around the world. Yeah, I think I think you've hit the nail on the head there. I think this is this was the thing, wasn't it? People, when yeah. when we started to move online, we thought it might be temporary, might be a month, three months, six mm -hmm. months, and nobody really knew how long it was going to be until it got quite late on. I think. But but as I said, the, these kind of grassroots um, uh, kind of efforts. Uh, here in Japan, in particular, um, were you know very very helpful for a lot of teachers. Um, I, I also uh, started my own um, uh, group on Facebook as well, which is called uh, Tiltal Technology in Language Teaching and Learning. And I think I started this maybe six months or a year after the after the um, pandemic has started. And um, you know that's now has over two thousand members. So there's obviously still a lot of interest in in uh, learning how to use technology to teach languages. Yes, definitely. I think 
what you said about grassroots movements mm. by of teachers self-organizing to provide support to each other, I think is the case elsewhere. I've I've read about and heard about a lot of that happening. Um, principally because I think because either a lot of schools didn't provide the support that teachers needed or you know, ministries of education neither. So teachers self-organized mm. and provided support, not just with English teachers, but I think the English language teacher community has definitely uh, been quick to do that. I'm not mm -hmm. sure why, but uh, it's certainly something I've, I've I've heard. What you you touched upon this um, in the community that you created um, on Facebook, but do you think? There's been a big change now as to tech, not using technology, teachers using technology. I think teachers are going to continue wanting to use a lot more technology than they did prior to the pandemic. I mean, that's the question that we're all asking now. Um, I, I started Zengengo quite a long time before the pandemic. And before Zengengo, it was called Apps for EFL, which I started about five years before the pandemic. So I've been interested in, in using technology to teach English for a long time. And then when the when it was obvious that the pandemic was going to, was going to become this global phenomenon that forced everyone to teach online, it was an opportunity in some ways for people like me because there was already a germ of an idea there about how to do this, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, at that point, I kind of went hell for leather and put all my effort into developing the platform. And and now when people are going back face to face, that we're wondering, you know, are we going to still have customers? <laughs> are we going to have still people wanting to do it? But I think they are. And I, I've spoken to like I was at Eurocall um, oh, yeah. uh, this year, which was fully online conference, and um, I've spoken to I was speaking to a lady there who said that her private language school um, now is fully hybrid, and they're going to be hybrid for for the foreseeable future. Like they're not going back to fully they're not going back to only face to face. So she gives her students the choice: Do you want to join the class? Um, in person or do you want to join online and they pay exactly the same price for their lesson but they can choose to either join online or or come to the class so I think I mean that situation I think is not that common but there are there has been a big change and people are realizing that you know, we have to do blended or we have to do hybrid we can't just do paper-based face-to-face activities any, anymore we have to have at least a blended curriculum you know to satisfy student needs and to increase engagement and to increase time on task and also in case there's another you know resurgence of a pandemic in the future hopefully not yeah hopefully not but you never know but i think mm -hmm. i think what you said about that makes a lot of sense to me i think uh, it doesn't make sense to, to go back to what things were and not take advantage of the opportunities that mm. people have realized online offers. I think one of the things that's quite disappointing for me is when organizations that run conferences that put them all fully online uh, during the pandemic um, have gone back to just being face-to-face -face only mm. events. I think it's quite a shame. I really enjoyed participating in events that I wouldn't have been able to get to otherwise if they were just face-to-face -face as they were before. And um, I think the idea of of having some element of online, of being hybrid, I think is is a really good idea. I think mm -hmm. I've seen that with Braz Tisol, the Brazilian teachers organization, for example. They run, they run a face-to-face -face conference every two years and they are continuing with a face-to-face -face conference every two years. But in the intervening years, they're going to have a fully online conference, which I think is a great idea. Mm -hmm. And um, 
the conference that I'm involved in in Mexico used to be face to face, held every February, and now uh, this conference, Bebelt, it's called, uh, is gone fully online. And I think we pretty much see the advantages of doing that. One, it's a lot cheaper to run, and also we can get teachers from all over Mexico and, in fact, all over the region and beyond. Whereas before, it was limited to those teachers who could afford to come to Mexico City for a couple of days. Mm. So I think mm. it's a more inclusive thing to do that. I don't know if mm. that's if you if you noticed that with conferences that you have been going to or that you have are aware of. Yeah, I think I think efforts are being made here in Japan to keep doing a combination, like to do hybrid conferences, for example. But the the overhead uh, involved in doing that is not insignificant. You know, mm. um, Jout Call that I've been I, I was involved with for for quite a while, and, and I've stepped back a little bit now to focus on my own projects. Uh, Jout Call is the Japan Association for Language Teaching Computer Assisted Language Learning uh, Group SIG. They had a fully a fully online conference this year. Uh, next year, I think they're planning to do face-to-face, -face, but also hybrid. Uh, JELT National, which is in November in Japan, in Fukuoka, are doing hybrid uh, presentations. And they offered us the chance to do a hybrid um, presentation, and we accepted. Um, but I, I, I know the uh, the program director for JELT, and uh, he he made it clear that you know it is quite demanding <laughs> to to do a physical conference and a hybrid conference. You've got all the all the um, complication of an online conference and all of the complication of a face-to-face -face conference together, you know. Yeah. Um, but if, if it can be done well, I think it, it works. And I've done hybrid presentations in the past where you've got a computer in front of you and you're on Zoom and you've got a live audience behind the computer and you're, you know, on the stage. And it's a bit disconcerting the first time, and but you get used to it. <laughs> And uh, yeah. it's it's kind of you know I like I like it I think I like the idea and it, like you said it's it's more inclusive a lot more inclusive of course yeah I remember this was quite a, a way quite a few years ago now but the IETFL Learning Technologies Special Interest Group that I was uh, I was part of for a long time we did an event that was hybrid back when Second Life was Flavor of the Month and mm -hmm. we had people joining us in second life who weren't able to to be at the event in person and we had a big screen showing second life um mm -hmm. to the participants and we tried to make it as fully sort of interactive as possible with the two environments those people in second life there was one presentation of um i think mark pegram was um presenting from second life to the mm -hmm. room and then the people in the room were presenting to the people in the room and to people in second life and because it was on a big screen and there were definitely avatars visibly there i think it became easy for the presenters in the physical space to kind of address those people in in the virtual world and uh, it was quite an interesting experiment and i uh i think it was quite successful i think you know perhaps that would be a way forward using virtual worlds uh more for that type of event because it's it's a bit sort of more it's a bit friendlier isn't it than having people turn up in a three-day space and interact mm. in a hybrid fashion than having kind of like a flat video type Zoom environment. Hello and welcome to the morning break on Teacher Talk Radio, where today I'm John. Definitely, definitely. And um, this kind of idea of being embodied, uh, having some sense of embodiment and some sense of presence uh, in, in the virtual space. Um, this might be a good time to mention that I made a series of videos uh, with one of your previous guests, uh, Raquel yeah. Ribeiro, 
who's based in Brazil. She's she's amazing, amazing uh, teacher and researcher and and uh, academic in in Brazil. And uh, we we got together and, and made this series of videos, which we're we're basically um, exploring uh, six different virtual worlds um, and evaluating their viability for teaching languages. And if you go to my uh, Tiltal website, tiltal.org, T-I-L-T-A-L.org, uh, you can see uh, all six videos um, if you want to find out more about that. Fantastic. I'm going to ask you now, yeah. which of the six virtual worlds you rate the highest and whether it, Raquel also rated the same virtual world uh, <laughs> highest as well? Um, you don't have to good... answer that question, Paul. You can leave <laughs> it up to everyone to go to your yeah. website and watch all the six videos, or you yeah. could kind of tempt us to to go to okay. one video in particular. Am I am I going to make or break one of these CEOs now? Who's going to be calling <laughs> me up, like asking me why I didn't choose their oh, site? I think perhaps... I, can't, I can't speak for Raquel, but um, sorry, yeah. yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say perhaps it's not just one, maybe. Um, different virtual worlds have different features that are um depends on what you're looking for i would imagine it would be that that's definitely the case uh so i i can't speak for raquel in, in my opinion i i really like spatial um for the actual um the, the graphic side of it spatial is is an actual 3d world um i don't think it's really primarily designed for teaching i think it's primarily designed for like exhibitions and things like that you mm. know but it, it can be used for teaching um, we had a bit of an issue with the audio, but I'm not sure I, I, that could have been like the hardware we were using, you know, so I really like spatial. And I also really liked um, Mozilla hubs. And uh, Mozilla obviously is open source and and uh, and a free solution. Uh, Mozilla, obviously, the, the, the people who develop uh, Firefox, you know, yeah. um, they have uh, this uh, solution called Mozilla hubs. So you can access that hubs.mozillahubs.com. Okay, I can't remember the address now. Sorry, you can cut that bit. <laughs> um, but anyway, if you Google search uh, Mozilla Hubs, um, you'll find it. And it's, that's also a 3D environment that you can walk around with a 3D avatar, you know, so like, we, we like those. Um, and also the one that wasn't 3D was kind of like a top down. Remember those old kind of Amiga style top down video games, like isometric kind of video games? Yeah. Remember those? Yeah. 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 Um, it's called um, it's called a Gathered Town. Uh, gather.town and that, that was my favorite overall although i prefer spatial and mozilla hubs for the actual um, 3d kind of environment they have yeah fantastic i uh, i keep being tempted back into using virtual worlds and i mm. uh, i am um, i'm tempted it's just it takes quite a long a long a long time lot of your time to actually become fully immersed in it and get to know them but uh i might take you up and check out a couple of those uh the ones that you mentioned i think i definitely need to go and watch your videos to get a, a better idea of that thank That's you <laughs> please do yeah. No, and uh, yeah it's it's interesting i mean i think people do there obviously is this is this idea of zoom fatigue and and being stuck in front of a computer for hours and hours a day and we do need to get out of our chairs and walk around and and travel and meet people and and, and be we are physical um animals right <laughs> we are physical mm -hmm. beings um, but to the extent that we can use virtual worlds to make online education more interesting and more engaging i think it's a good idea to do that yeah oh yeah back in the day when i was um i, I was actually employed 50 percent of my time to work in second life um back when oh, that wow. was <laughs> yeah it's a long oh. story but 
uh yeah uh running de helping develop and manage uh two um two islands in the virtual world for language teachers and learners and we had a european union project going as well it was it was fabulous i really enjoyed it and then it it never really showed its potential so it always promised to get easier to use and require uh not as um a sophisticated hardware so the the um a lot more people could actually use it it always sort of was on the verge of promising that but every time it was updated it actually got slower it got mm. harder to use it, the barrier to entry seemed to be uh higher and then the pricing changed and most of the educational organizations that had established a presence that's there uh, well a lot of them felt that they couldn't afford it or it wasn't being used as much uh, with students as they thought it would be so some of them uh, like the organization I was working for still working for the British Council left and others switched to open sim but I it's been it's always been interesting to me to see that the researchers uh, never went away the universities never fully went away they've been continuing with their presence in in these virtual worlds and looking at other ones so there's always been mm -hmm. this at the back of my mind it's always been this is going to come back again it's going to get better it's going to get easier it's mm -hmm. going to become attractive again uh, for education and for general use as well and I think we're about to see that time aren't we Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think so. I mean, it, it seems like we're moving toward that kind of era. Um, just, just touching on Second Life again, like we, we did consider looking at Second Life, but we decided to focus on the end on, on browser-based solutions. So yeah. all of all the six yeah. all of the six worlds that we investigated run run inside the web browser. Um, I, I did log into Second Life for, for the first time in a long time <laughs> and had a walk around. And it's a lot, it's it's quite, it has a quite a steep learning curve. You know, there's lots of controls yeah. and things to do. And how do you sit down? How do you stand up? You know, how do you fly? So it's it's quite a steep learning curve. And um, I, I echo what you were saying. Um, I, I just did a recent... I just I just conducted a research project. Um, I'm doing a PhD now as well, actually. I should mention, <laughs> and uh, I'm doing at University of Lancaster, who have a great um, PhD in technology enhanced learning. And um, uh, I, I interviewed a few teachers at a school at a university in Japan, and asked them about um, whether they followed theories of of, um, of call or tell when they you know teach online or teach um, teach language digitally. And one thing that came up was uh, pragmatic considerations like how long does it take you know how easy is how easy is it to use how much does it cost so all the things you mentioned um they often trump um concerns about pedagogy or or, or you know pedagogical principles theoretical principles are often trumped by pragmatic considerations there so that's really that's interesting that's, yeah it's really interesting i think you're absolutely right that, that steep learning curve um was a barrier and is a barrier to um mm. to second life and other other using other technologies that may well um offer so much i mean i love the flexibility of of second life as a virtual world some of the virtual worlds that i have sort of dabbled with subsequently seem to be quite limited um in what they allowed you to do but i think part of the problem is if if the if the technology can is difficult to actually get to get to know or the controls difficult to manage then obviously you don't want to be spending time with students uh trying to teach them how to use a platform 
You want them mm. just to go in and use it and get on with the the actual reason for being there, don't you? Absolutely. And that's an issue that we've bumped into time and time again with Zengengo as well, because we, we do like to teach uh, we, we do like to take teacher feedback on board yeah. and, and teachers yeah. um you know do uh, give us their opinion and teachers have uh, quite have quite strong opinions about the way things should work <laughs> sometimes <laughs> you know and, and we do take this this feedback on board and um, but at the same time we have to keep it as simple as possible you know so the functionality has to be there but it, it shouldn't be overwhelming I think Google does a really good job of this you know most Google products um, that I can think of it's they're incredibly complex but under the surface you know yeah uh, yeah. on, on the surface, like uh, the Google search, for example, it's just an input box that you type a word into. And then under the surface, it's amazing. It, it, you know, it searches billions of websites, you know, in, 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 in seconds. You know? mm -hmm. um, but on the surface, it's so simple and intuitive. Yeah. You know? And that's what we're trying to do with our projects as well. I, th I think you've got it there. I think definitely if, if something you can... <clears throat> start with using um, a particular website or whatever then um, very easily and it's easy to use but if then there's a lot you can do with it that you can explore deeper and further if there are different layers or levels to it that mm. anyone who's interested in in exploring can can actually uh, go off and and get involved in I think that's the key isn't it something like that yeah definitely yeah so, Paul, I'm going to ask you about a book you wrote uh, and published um, a few years ago now, I think. Um, mm -hmm. 50 Ways to Teach with Technology, Tips for ESL, EFL Teachers. How did that came about? come about? Well, um, I, as I said, I always had an interest in using technology in, in my lessons. Uh, at the time, I think I was just keeping uh, my own kind of notes about what I was doing in my classes mm -hmm. and I got to a point where I thought I had enough ideas to to put it to, to turn it into a book and I happened to know the publisher of uh, Waste Goose Press there's a woman called Dorothy Zamak and she had this series of um, books they're all called 50 ways to do something mm -hmm. uh, so 50 ways to teach online 50 ways to teach writing uh, the, the, lo lots of different um, themes in that in that series and um, I just approached her on, on Facebook, basically, and said, um, do you have a technology one? She, she said, no. So I said, OK, I'll, I'll write one. <laughs> so <laughs> Fantastic. I did that. And uh, yeah, it came out as um, a Kindle book, I think. It, it was only on Kindle originally, and it cost 99 cents mm -hmm. um, because Dorothy had this great idea about making it, you know, incredibly cheap. And, and then people would just buy, you know millions of copies it didn't quite work out that way but uh, uh, and then a few years later she actually offered me to write a paperback version and I did that as well so you can buy it on Kindle and there's a slightly longer version you can buy as a physical book as well now oh fantastic I I really love the idea of self-published books for or small press published books for uh, for teachers because I think mm. a lot of the mainstream publishers the price of the books it just means it's unaffordable for uh, teachers. Uh, I know there are lots of reasons for that uh, because of the costs that mainstream publishers have. But I think being able yeah. to provide uh, cheaper books for teachers, affordable books for teachers is wonderful. So that sounds mm. great. I think I found one recently that that was a hundred pounds or something. <laughs> and I think I think you commented on it on, on my Facebook post, maybe, um, or uh, quite a few people commented on it. And I, I yeah. it was on Amazon and it cost a hundred pounds. And I was like, 
who who buys these books you know <laughs> like, yeah and well, I, I, think I couldn't quite understand it I there's a lot of these big handbooks of research mm. that get a lot of teachers and experts educational technologists and researchers that tend to be education technology handbooks for example with lots of papers very very thick books but they're priced mm. you know they're just so expensive they always look mm. very interesting and I'd love to be able to consult them and things but I get the feeling that the only uh the only copies that are bought are for libraries mm, yeah uh because libraries I think the a lot of libraries university libraries etc have to buy them or they're right. you know for courses they you know and then students who are members of those libraries studying at the university etc can actually consult them online uh sorry mm -hmm. consult them in the library um but otherwise these books are not being read by anyone unfortunately that's that's I think is is true and it's it's quite sad and sad but true yeah and um you know starting at Lancaster we, we do have access to a lot of books online I've noticed but sometimes it's limited uh, you can only read the first chapter or you can only read the for the first 30 minutes or something like that so then you have to you know you, you have to read really quickly <laughs> you know uh, but I I read a lot of my books on on Kindle now actually I yeah. I, I do try and get the Kindle version if there is one it's usually cheaper but not always uh, and then I have it on all my devices that I can, you know, and it's easy to search and uh, and to and to make notes and, and highlight it on my computer. So that's the way that I do research and the way that I I read about yeah. technology as well. Yeah. I I um I only buy ebooks now. Uh, obviously, I've moved around country to country a few times, and uh, from one country to another, and you know, it's just having paper books is just a uh, it's not practical so yeah. for that reason ebooks are the way to go for me definitely yeah there's actually a company in Japan called bookscan and uh, mm -hmm. all my books from my master's degree I sent them off to bookscan and they converted them to pdfs for me and I think in Japan the law is um, as long as you don't keep the original you can convert it to a digital format you know oh, uh, wow. so you have to just you have to destroy the original so you only have one copy um, you can't you can't have the physical copy and a digital copy, but you can destroy the original and then you know you can get it digitized. So I, I did that with about fifty books, I think. <laughs> wow! Uh, anyone like... in Japan wants to do that? It's called Bookscan. Yeah, yeah. I bet it's only a Japan Japanese thing. Pro possibly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure what the situation is, the legal situation of the countries. I know, you know, yeah. publishers ob obviously have to protect their 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 their. Um, business models you know I completely understand that and I support it um, yeah. but then consumers yeah. want the right to to switch the medium sometimes as well so of it's course. a balance it's a difficult balance you know yeah I still have a few paper books that I've been dragging around with me wherever I go because there aren't any digital versions of them and they're they're books that I still want to have um but I would rather have an ebook version to be honest of everything mm. I have that I'm looking at over there and the uh on the bookshelf um mm -hmm. there are not a lot of them but i would definitely prefer to have the ebook version but sometimes they're just not available it's just not available mm -hmm. so I've, i found people get also very very protective over physical books like they it's almost a religious thing like 
the idea of destroying the book is like you're almost a fascist you know by saying by suggesting it you know like you can get a digital version but you've got to destroy the original I said like, no no I couldn't destroy the original it's like there's a kind of like romantic it's almost like physical books are romanticized you know yeah you can sit under you can sit under a tree or on the beach and read it and you know it's kind of a more personal experience and I understand all of that as well it's it's a kind of um a physical uh the actual value of the book is encoded in the physicality of it in some respect yeah yeah i i used to feel that way um until uh, and i spent many many years when i lived in barcelona in spain and i spent many years every time i went back to the uk i used to have a lot of books in the uk i used to bring books with me and i brought them over little by a few you know every trip that i i brought some books over and amassed mm. a large amount of books and then very quickly i got a job offer in uruguay and had to move and we we had to get rid of so many books mm. so many physical books it was very it was heartbreaking having to actually yeah. we had uh we spent several um several weekends at book fairs trying to sell them and then I gave them away, and then you know uh, some mm. of them are put into storage, etc. It was it just got that experience of going through it made me divorce that feeling I had for physical books uh, mm. from you know and and to a certain extent I kind of like you know what's important is actually the the actual words the ideas not the mm. paper those ideas are written written on uh, or published mm. on. I think so for it, me it, there it, isn't any I don't have any romantic notions any longer <laughs> but a lot of teachers do though and especially like academics you know because they, they always have their photo taken in front of a bookshelf you know with all their books that they've read behind them <laughs> you know and if all your books are on Kindle you can't do that <laughs> yeah but I I, um, I tend to equate that nowadays with this idea of amassing things this mm. idea of um again my relationship with things has changed a lot since I've I moved to Uruguay and then subsequently to Mexico I try not to buy things physical mm. things because I know that I've had to get rid of so many things mm. in my life I've had to you know equip so many different um flats kitchens buy things mm. that uh, that I really you know whenever I have the opportunity to buy something now I'm like do I really need this am I going <laughs> to get enough use of use out of it that you know yeah. if I move in a year's time in three years time in five years time am I going to regret buying this mm. because I never used it enough to make it actually you know to, to get the value out of it so mm. it's quite interesting having to for me to have to relate to objects to things in that way and mm -hmm. for me it's been a very healthy thing to do um, it was very difficult to get rid of a lot of the things that I had to get rid of when I moved from Spain but um I look at it now and I'm, I feel I've got a much healthier relationship to objects mm -hmm. and to consuming actually mm -hmm. Do you, do you feel like a a load has been lifted off, off your shoulders in in some respects like it does it does really yeah. feel like I'm not when I was in Barcelona and I had all of those books I used to really enjoy seeing books mm -hmm. on bookshelves mm -hmm. 
and actually taking books down the smell of them the the mm -hmm. touch the feel of them I, I I do miss that to a certain extent mm -hmm. but it did feel like just it, the burden of having all of these physical yeah. books actually mm -hmm. did weigh down on me I think and I feel liberated now not having that kind of um that kind of pressure or the kind of things really and I, my mm. relationship with things has completely changed you know I mm. if anything I'm looking around thinking okay what can I get rid of so mm. when it mm. you know if and when <laughs> the time comes to leave Mexico which at some point I imagine it will um you know I'm not I don't have to very quickly um decide what to keep what to get rid of I can do it over time and think carefully about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's that I, constant kind of decluttering of my life, if you like, that I have. Mm -hmm. My wife, however, is the opposite. She's still attached to things a lot. I used mm -hmm. to be the person who, you know, collected books, records, CDs, DVDs, and stuff like that when I was in, in Spain. And now she's the person who collects things. She buys things a lot more than I do. Mm -hmm. I, I understand yeah, completely where you're coming from. I, th I think there's a TED talk actually where the guy talks about having to, you know, trying to cut down all, all of his things that he owns and, you know, uh, living in uh, this world of of uh, climate change and and, uh, and overproduction, we should be wary of what we're buying. I think what you're saying about, you know, do I really need this um, this thing <laughs> that's that's going to cause a carbon footprint or whatever, you know? <laughs> Um, but the other the other side of it also is the functionality. You know, you can search a uh, a Kindle book uh, really quickly and easily, but searching a, a physical book takes a lot a lot longer. Um, but I think old school academics would would still prefer to do it the old way. <laughs> no, I don't. I, I I fully understand. And and you know, if if you're pretty fixed where you're living, I I, I understand you wouldn't need to have the kind of attitude that I have um mm. but then you know it comes a point where someone is going to have to deal with the things that you have even if it's not yeah. you I mean sure, my right my wife left yesterday to go back to uh her home in Galicia in Spain to deal with her mother's things and her mm. mother's flat because her mother recently passed away and she's really sort of um has a bit of a trauma about you know the idea of having to go into this flat where a mother has lived for uh almost well all of her life I think or most of her life and having to open up cupboards and decide what to right. do with all of the things that I think so I think at some point everyone's things are going to be people are going to have landfill. to do them. So I, exactly <laughs> what would it probably going to be landfill really or, or birds well, here, yeah. here in Japan, it's it's really hard to get rid of anything, right? Because once you've bought something, like it's really hard to get rid of it, especially big things. Yeah. Like there isn't really a free cycle. Like in in the UK, you have this free cycle. You can just give something away. Someone will drive to your house and pick it up and take it away, and it'll be gone, right? I mean, there are like uh, free cycle groups on Facebook. I think there's like a motai nai, which means like uh, it's a waste uh, in Japanese. There's all these like motai nai groups. You know, you can you can do that stuff, but um, it's not really widely culturally done. They do have um, uh, merukari now in Japan, which is huge, massively successful, multi-billion-dollar business now. I think it is uh, where you can sell stuff online. 
Um, and I, I've, yet, I've yet to use it, but I really want to try it out because, you know, if you can make a bit of money out of your old things, even better, <laughs> you know. Of course. But uh, the, the, the usual situation here in Japan is that you, you have to pay to get rid of something that you don't want anymore. <laughs> you, know, you, 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 you go to the convenience store, you buy a, a little sticker that costs like 500 yen, <clears throat> which is like $5, whatever, probably more now because the, the yen is weak. Um, and then uh, you stick it on the thing, and then some uh, some old guy in a truck comes by two weeks later and takes it away. <laughs> you know, wow. and that's the way it works. Yeah, what it's, happens it's not, to it? Do you know? Um, well, it probably it probably ends up either getting burned or going to landfill. I, I think. I mean, it, wow. it might go to a recycle recycle shop at some point. I, I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, but yeah, nothing good. I don't think. To be honest. Oh dear. <laughs> yeah. So. To pull us back to education and technology, Paul, yeah. <laughs> um, what new or emerging technologies have caught your eye recently, uh, apart from the virtual worlds, of course, because uh, we've already talked about those. So mm. what do you think teachers or learners will be using in the near future? So I know everyone's talking about the metaverse recently. And what is the metaverse? You know, what, what, what does it do? What's it for? How do I get into it? Is 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 Second Life part of the metaverse and all this stuff? And there's really important questions, and I think they're going to be answered in time. Um, but I I won't talk about that too much um, because I don't really know that much about it myself. <laughs> I'm trying to figure it out myself, you know. Me too. Um, I'm, I'm toying with the idea of getting a, a, a MetaQuest 2. Um, but they're very, very, very expensive, and uh, I'm wondering if it's worth the cost. I I bought an Amazon an Amazon Echo smart speaker mm -hmm. uh, a few years ago, and it kind of sat on my desk for a while, and it was a, had a kind of a novelty factor, and then the novelty wore off, and now it lives in a desk. You know, so <laughs> some of these like things that we think they're going to be, you know, the next big, the next iPad. I think I remember reading at one point that the iPad was the best selling device of any kind. Like it sold more than any kind of VCR. It, it, it became a device in its own right, wow. you know. Um, but uh, smart speakers, they have got quite high penetration here in Japan, I think, in the in the rest of the developed world. But they're not. I, I don't use one regularly. I'm not sure if you do or not. Smart speaker. I yeah. I do. I do. I, I use the Amazon right. Echo. Um, quite, it sits in the kitchen. And right. It's a great thing to be able to use voice when you're cooking. Mm. Right, hands free. Yeah, I can see how hands that would free. Work. Yeah. So I can quickly yeah. change uh mm -hmm. you know, the song I'm listening to or podcast mm -hmm. or whatever through voice, which mm -hmm. I think that that's how I use it. I started using Siri a little bit in my lessons. So when when an interesting fact comes up like what's the population of Japan or you know how high is Mount Fuji, we can say, Oh, let's ask Siri, you know. So we just pop whip out the iPhone and ask Siri. So I think voice technology is definitely useful in education. It can be used, and it's not just a novelty. Yeah. You know, it's not just a gimmick. It actually has a, a proper use. Um, but uh, Metaverse is still kind of unproven for me. There is a company, like, um, focusing solely on the Metaverse for language education. I think they're called Immerse. Mm -hmm. I think they're at immerse.online, and um, they, they have kind of cornered that, you know, little niche of, of trying to offer a completely immersive experience um, uh, in the metaverse for language learning. For me, coming back to your original question, I think um, virtual avatars will become much more commonplace. So it's now possible to have a very, very realistic human um, 
a human face <laughs> or mm -hmm. human like torso <laughs> yeah. um you know uh explaining some ex uh, some complex concept or or you know um narrating uh a work of fiction or something like that and it's the voices and and not just the voice but also the appearance of they're called avatars you know yeah. i think they will become a lot more common uh, in education yeah um a couple of the things that i've been playing with recently i think quite interesting i don't know if you've um had a lot of experience of of using them but there's been an explosion of um artificial intelligence mm. created art um, yes photos images etc yep. and i'm starting to look at that and think you know some of the sites you have to pay for some of the sites are free some of the sites have a limited amount you can pay for uh, uh sorry that are free before you have to pay for it etc but it's fascinating where you put in um text to to art if you like to image and some of the effects are amazing and they're becoming a lot you know even over the last month or so two months the quality of the images that you can get from these are incredible and i always thought it'd be quite first of all it's quite interesting for teachers to be able to generate images that for class that they can use mm. that are copyright you know that aren't in copyright um so you can use them legally and then the other thing is that there must be some kind of way of being able to use the tech for as a language teacher to use the text to generate images or to to generate images and have the students to guess what the original input text was and mm, see which of the students <laughs> get closer that's an activity i think mm. i've been thinking about so there's that mm. and then the that's, uh, that's definitely the true sorry I, sorry to interrupt um, no, it, okay. i think it's called i think it's called dali for anyone That's who right. wants to look it up, one of them is called Dali, D-A-L-L-E, and I think you can access it at labs.openai.com. Um, yeah. OpenAI is yeah. just, just one of them offering this functionality, but yeah, you have to pay per generation though. So that's one thing for me that might be a, a barrier to using it in the classroom is that you have to pay every time you use it. So it's kind of it's kind of metered access to the technology. Yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. But no, <laughs> but there's a light version, um, Crayon, uh, is the oh, okay. name of the site now i think it's changed recently um and that's free completely free it just takes oh, a little nice. bit of time and that's mm. quite quite good there's also um there are a number of others um at some point in the future i want to do a show on it i think just to sort of or make mm. it part of a show because i think there's so many uh so many practical tools that are coming out with ai the the other thing of uh, that's quite interesting as the the AI as a creative writer I think you'll be interested in this the AI creative writing software mm. is is mm. quite interesting as well there are a number of programs now uh, sorry websites that actually will create uh, will continue text for you in the same style for example or mm. um, you can if you write a basic text you can select for example if you said the man walks up the stairs you can highlight the man and say describe and the ai will actually give you um all these options of description so you can have ai assisted creative writing for example i've played with uh one of those um 
sites, for example, and I think um, it's called pseudorights.com, S-U-D-O-W-R-I-T-E.com. Mm-hmm. And the trial, it's, it's free to try it out, and then you have to pay per month if you want to continue. Um, mm-hmm. But that's okay. quite interesting. I'll, I'll check that out, yeah. I mean, at Zengenga, we've been looking into the ways to use um, the latest... Um, the the latest language models you know the gpt3 which was kind of the the breakthrough language model with billions of parameters and and that's the one being used by OpenAI. so any okay. listeners who are interested in, in 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 kind of like you know playing with this if you go to openai.com you can you can play around with it as as graham was saying like you can you can it it, it, it does a story completion but it also does things like correcting student writing or um you know creating multiple choice questions and things like that you know so it's i've been blown away by the range of things that you can do with it and things that we think as teachers only we can do uh open ai and other sites can now do this just almost just as well as we can <laughs> as human beings with the, with the right kind of prompts you know oh yeah definitely it's amazing um paul i uh, really I'm very happy that you agreed to join me today. Just before I go, um, let me just ask you, when you're not teaching or involved with technology or working, uh, otherwise working, what do you like to do with your free time? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. It's a really difficult question. I I really have been like completely plugged into the matrix for the past (laughs) two years. I feel like when when Neo wakes up and is like, why don't my muscles work? And it's like, because you'd never use them. Um, but I have been trying to get out and be more physical and and active and like I've been out on my bicycle cycling down by the river there's a nice river near my house I can cycle down there Um, you know I've been trying to get out I I went to my first face-to-face conference for a while uh, that was in Nagano and I went down there I'm hoping to go to face-to-face face-to-face conference in Fukuoka for JALT um, but all of that is work-related, isn't it? Still, <laughs> so, I guess. it's okay. Uh, I, I I fully understand yeah. if if yeah. you end up doing a lot of work-related stuff or education-related yeah. stuff with your free time. I do mm. too. Although I mean, I'm... my passion my passions overlap with my work. I guess is what I should say. Exactly. There, but, uh... Definitely. So, Paul, thank you very very much for joining me today, and um, wish you all the success with your all of the many projects that you have going. Thanks, Graham. Appreciate it, and uh, hopefully speak again soon. Definitely. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.